0: Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art-making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. In today's episode, I had a conversation with my friend, Jenny Chu. Jenny and I met when we were both studying with Sabrina Monarch, and we journeyed together in our studies for about a year. We both started off taking Sabrina's evolutionary astrology intensive course around the end of 2020, and then we essentially spent the entire 2021 together in meteorite, which was a container for developing our own astrological voices, also facilitated by Sabrina. So if you listen to episode two, where I had a panel discussion with the whole 2021 meteorite cohort, you'll be pretty familiar with Jenny's voice because Jenny contributed some really fresh and powerful insights within that episode. In our conversation today, we revolved around time, um, the idea of time and our relationship with time. We talked about what time itself is, our sense of the spirit of time, our shared love for the work of the Italian physicist Carlo Rovelli, um, who talked quite a bit about time, and also how astrology has changed our relationship with time. But I think it would be unfair for me to completely pin down this conversation to just revolving around time because Jenny has a truly brilliant mind and she's also such a beautiful conversationalist that our discussion branched out in so many different ways that feels really organic and exciting. When I listened back, I really felt myself quite spellbound by a lot of things that Jenny had to say. In addition to time, we also explored the Buddhist idea of the middle path the I Ching and other forms of divination, and even how evolutionary astrology connects with Buddhism. All of these seemingly disparate topics are really brought together in such an organic, such a flowy way throughout this conversation, and I think that if you know a little bit about our astrological birth charts, you'll probably see why. Jenny's north node is in Gemini. And it's in very, very close conjunction with my moon in Gemini. And I think you'll probably be able to hear that Gemini influence in this conversation. To me, it feels like this conversation was really lit up and connected with that energy of Gemini and Sagittarius in the best way possible. So before we get into the episode, let me read you the bio that Jenny shared with the listeners of this podcast. Jenny M. Chu is a thinking artist and she's an older sister to a younger brother and raised by two immigrant parents by way of Saigon and Hong Kong. She has studied evolutionary astrology with Sabrina Monarch, embodied astrology with Renee Sills, and is currently in the transits and predictive astrology cohort Led by Oak of Oak Astrology, that centers decolonization and the BIPOC experience. All right, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Jenny Chu. Hello, Jenny.
1: Hello, Jonathan.
0: Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking me for being a part of this like squirrely and expansive and undefined currently defining in process conversation
0: absolutely you were definitely one of the first people that I'm like I really want to have you on we're in the same class we um, are currently studying with Sabrina and um, yeah I feel like you just have such an interesting mind and you have this ability to kind of ground your knowing in um, kind of like an embodied sense. And Mm -hmm. this is something that I do want to get into with you, but I always really like to begin opening the space with the present moment. And just, you know, I'm I'm curious to hear who you feel or you know, or you sense yourself to be Mm -hmm. today and particularly in this chapter in your life,
1: mm-hmm. Boy, that's such a big question. I first of all, thank you so much for saying that because I oftentimes feel, I think, so disembodied. I feel like I've oftentimes so heady. That so much of my energy is oftentimes squirreling around in my <laughs> crown chakra <laughs> and even, even meditating. I mean, I try to keep a pretty regular meditation practice every single day where I sit for an hour. All of that energy actually oftentimes like centralizes around in my headspace, mm. and I have to consciously push it down into my body. Mm. Um. So I think right now, I mean, I'm not working. So I am, I'm a Capricorn sun. Saturn is a big theme in my life. I have always been a little obsessed with time and also my experience and quality of time. And right now, because I'm not working, it's been, uh, for a while, for the last four weeks, I kept using, I kept saying the word dislocated. I kept feeling very dislocated. Mm. Um, there's like a dislocation in my feeling. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that my ego was telling me specific narratives and stories of how I was supposed to use my time, Interesting. which is why I had wanted to talk about time when I had first filled out your form around this yeah. conversation, because I was meditating so much on the quality of my experience of, of being unscheduled.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and also recognizing, too, that I had been prepared for this period of my life. I was prepared to be unscheduled, and even with the preparation of being unscheduled, how disorienting it was um, around our our sort of earthbound narratives of productivity and efficiency and what it means to be human or a valuable human. Yeah. Um, so right now, I'm just... I'm trying to trust more that the process and that my simply living is enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, my process around studying astrology and I'm also working through a lucid dreaming workbook, which has been both frustrating, but also I'm trying to, I'm trying to go the middle path. I'm trying not to be too, too disciplined about it or too controlling around it, but I'm also not trying to be super loose Um, And really just trying to access this ability to speak to my subconscious in a way that is actually engaging with my conscious self, that there's like this Mm bi-directionality. So I'm trying to access that through meditation, through studying astrology. I'm also part of um, this practice in transformative action cohort through East Bay Meditation Center right now. Mm. Um, and it's all about secular mindfulness. So we're studying the foundations of mindfulness. And then the second half of the year will be about applying it towards transformative action work. Um, so I feel like right now, all of the, everything that I'm doing feels like I'm trying to get very centered in myself. Um, and really clear about what it is that I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and in that process, you know, I'm pulling like tarot cards every day. I literally asked the tarot deck. I was like, what is my marching or- orders today? Mm. And that has actually been a really powerful question and also surrendering and relinquishing to those messages that are coming through through different divination tools I also, um, the Rumi Oracle, I just got the Rumi Oracle deck to a couple last month. I don't know if you know it. It's so beautiful.
0: (laughs) I'm not familiar with it, but it sounds really exciting.
1: Yeah, it's a Rumi Oracle deck. um, And it was so interesting because I kept pulling the same card three times. I was like, okay, (laughs) this is clearly, (laughs) this is clearly, um, clearly the message that I need to receive. And the message essentially is surrender. It's, it's trusting it's knowing without knowing, Mm -hmm. which is such a paradoxical experience for me, especially being someone who has North node and Vesta conjunct Um, in Gemini in her ninth house with a bunch with a huge stellium of Sagittarius placements in her third house right so like I'm I'm just on this access of constant seeking and constant meaning making
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, and also recognizing too that if I don't figure out a way to take the middle path around my own intellect or my own way of making meaning in the world that it can actually shut me off or close me off to those much more subtle messages in, in the subtle body, in my own subtle body, in the sort of like in the divine, in like my ability to access my subconscious or my ability to like move and shape time in the way that I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just something that is like very present for me is recognizing that I can't know everything. My self note in Sagittarius really desires, I think to be intuitively knowing immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and in some ways to be, you know, this, this teacher of my own life. And it's um, I think it oftentimes gets me in a lot of, in a lot of suffering, um, It comes across as suffering, which is Mm -hmm. also, um, yeah. And then I have to remind myself to be compassionate (laughs) about about it.
0: Right. You know, this conversation around like the third and the ninth house, Gemini and Sagittarius to me is so, um, and you know, to those listening, you are Libra rising. So you Mm kind of have them in, um, so you have your third house in Sagittarius and ninth house in Gemini. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm really curious to hear this idea of the middle path, actually. I feel like that's mm-hmm. kind of a beautiful entry point for us because you know you had mentioned the middle path being really important for you to walk, to discover. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to hear what what you think is at the heart of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think part of it so in Buddhism the middle path really equates to equanimity. Mm -hmm. So being able to respond to every instant in your life without being wholly attached to it or, or, or repulsed by it, right. It's about actually coming to a place where, I mean, it's really about spaciousness, I think. Um, And meditation is the ability to cultivate that equanimity. Like when you, I don't know if you've ever, I'm guessing that you meditate, mm-hmm. but I don't know if you've ever done like a, a silent meditation retreat or, or have sat to the point where your body, it feels like the tendons that connect your hip bone to your knee are like tearing apart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like when you're sitting for that long and you're not moving. And of course you can move, but you know, I'm again, I'm a, I'm a Capricorn sun, So I'm like, I am sitting. <laughs> <laughs> um and then recognizing how that pain can shift and how it changes and like actually your attachment to that sensation, like cultivating equanimity where you're not resisting the pain. You're not wholly attached to it where you're obsessed with it so that you can come out of meditation, being able to make wiser decisions in your life. Yeah. So it's really about being able to cultivate that, that spaciousness to be able to make decisions um, and choices that are maybe not not in a al- not in sort of direct alignment with our regular patterning as human beings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for me, the sort of like ability to to figure out how to walk the middle path has been a huge practice of like recorrecting my Saturnian sensibilities around willfulness. Mm. Um for ever and ever i'm 37 now so it's been only really about the last five years or so that i've really cultivated this practice but ever since before then i have always believed in i always believed that i could do whatever i wanted to do if i just tried hard enough
2: (laughs) Uh Uh um if i was Probably yes, too. Plan yeah.
1: <laughs> if I was strong-willed enough. If I did all the internships, worked all the jobs, did all this stuff, that I would be able to get exactly what I wanted at the exact time that I wanted.
2: Mm.
1: And it just and I just remember being in my twenties, like having this. Um, there was also a lot of a lot of sort of Sagittarius themes in my twenties too, where it's just like you know this this desire to do everything, but like also recognizing that I didn't have all the time in the world to do everything. I remember like in my mid-20s, I had this huge existential. Like I I was so depressed because I realized that I wasn't gonna ever be able to in this in this lifetime read all the books that were ever published. (laughs) It was just (laughs) so that is such a sad that's such a that's such a Sagittarius thing, you know, just like this, like, oh my God, I wanna read the whole canon. And I was like, but I'm never gonna be able to read everything that was published because at this point there are more books published than I will ever be able to read. Yeah. And I think I really had to work to understand that I can't, that sort of, right? Like that grasping and that desire to read more, to learn more, to do more, to be able to make things happen in this world because of my own life force. Mm -hmm. It's like aggressive, like very Mars energy, life force, going out and getting things done was causing me a lot of suffering. Hmm. And then years later, which is also one of those, uh, you know, hindsight 2020, years later, it's like the two internships that I took in my twenties, I ended up getting full-time positions at those jobs like years later. (laughs) Um, And then when I looked back, I was like, oh, like what I was cultivating back at 23 and 24 might not have manifested in a direct full-time position at 25 or 26. But then I Mm -hmm. went off to grad school and I came back and I didn't even have to apply for those jobs. I got offered both of those jobs at different times. And I was just like, oh, okay. So here's, and I still didn't quite get it at that time until, and I know I've shared this anecdote in class before. But it wasn't until 2014 I saw Jim Carrey, and whatever you think about Jim Carrey, I know he's a little out there. He's also a Capricorn son, <laughs> but he um, he gave a he gave a commencement speech at the Marahashi School,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he was giving a story an anecdotal story about his father and about how his father loved, he was so funny and he loved comedy, but what he ended up doing for 25 years of his life was like, he ended up working as an accountant because he thought that that's what he was supposed to do to make sure that his family was fed. Yeah. Jim Carrey tells the story about how his dad, after 25 years of working this job that he didn't love, he got laid off their family ended up losing their house. They were living on the streets. And Jim Carrey has this really beautiful reflection around you can do something that you don't love for 25 years of your life and still fail at it. So why don't you do what you love? Mm. And then he goes on to say, I promise you and I'm a product of this, that if you ask the universe for what you want and you don't control when or how, if you just keep working towards the thing that you want when the universe opens the door for you, you'll be ready to walk through it. But you can't control when or how the universe is going to respond to those efforts. And that to me is... And when I re- I remember listening to that speech. It was on YouTube. And I it finally clicked. I realized I was like, oh. So the thing that I can control is like my own... I can still control my own life force. I can still mm-hmm. control the direction of the choices that I make but i cannot control when the universe responds i cannot control when that door opens but that if i keep having the faith that my actions will lead up to when to when we're going to to when the universe is, is willing to co-create with you that's the moment and that's yeah. really what the middle path stands for me is recognizing what is within our own control what is within our own free will and our agency, but to not mess so much with the other stuff that we don't understand. It's that it's what I was talking about earlier around the knowing the faith and knowing without knowing, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Without um, a book telling me that the universe is going to open the door at this date, even though I try, I I try, (laughs) I, I can mean with the I Ching and I totally try, but then it's, you know, yeah, but also at the same time, you can't. You also can't force the I Ching because if you, if you approach the I Ching with a preconceived notion, the I Ching is going to reflect back to you those distortions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, yes. So right now, all I'm trying to do is just to get clear.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny because there there are so much that was like coming up for me as you were speaking the first one is that for someone who is um feeling like maybe they're not doing a whole lot you sound like you're doing a whole lot and it sounds like you're really using your time really well and um also like some placements in your chart really like spoke to me like you had mentioned Mars and the willpower. You do have it in the first house, but it's in the sign of Libra, mm-hmm. and so there's something that you describe there about like, you know, allowing yourself to tap into that willpower and into really exerting force, but then releasing yourself from the outcome. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I got this image of like someone who negotiates, right? Libra, the negotiator who is just negotiating for the sake of just, you know, principle and not really thinking about brokering any kind of outcome in general, you mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. also the other thing that kept, the phrase that kept coming as you were speaking was how Saturn needs to learn to appreciate the squiggliness of time. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. one thing that I was thinking about as you... um offered this topic, you know, of really discussing about time was the idea that there are many different types of time, right? And mm-hmm. I even wonder, you know, perhaps, is there Saturnian time? Is there Mercurial time? Is there Venusian time, right? And and how do they all differ? So I kind of want to, you know, take us back maybe a step um, to the mythic realm. W- one of the things that I've been sensing into is how you know in a more animus framework everything is infused with spirit and i'm curious if time has a spirit who do you feel the spirit of time to be
1: Mm. oh i love that pristol what is your definition of animus
0: to me it's a very loose definition to -hmm. me the animus framework is in recognizing that there is life in everything Mm -hmm, including mm -hmm. things that we in our perhaps colonial framework consider to be inanimate objects right so there's a spirit to uh this desk right there's a spirit to this mic that i'm recording on right now yeah um and it's really a lens because i don't think that it's necessarily a belief system right Mm -hmm. i think it's more about perhaps bending this idea of what spirit means and moving away from the idea that we can define spirit in like a materialistic sense you know because even when we put conceptual boundary around what spirit is and what spirit is not um that in and of itself is an act of trying to limit spirit, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm really seeing, you know, the animus framework in terms of that. And I think that in that sense, there is potential for us to be in conversation with any and all, really.
3: Yeah.
1: I love that definition of it. And first of all, this conversation is making my brain go in, like very Gemini, I'm like, oh, I want to talk about the word sati in Pali. That means that's, you know, defined as mindfulness in English. Mm. I also want to talk about Carlo Rovelli's book that we both read called The yeah. Order of Time, mm-hmm. which is an ironic title because there's actually no order to time. Yes. Um, but before I go off on a tangent on both of those In terms of the spirit of time if it were a spirit i always i heard once from a friend um talk about divine timing Mm. and there was a point very ungrounded very ungrounded jenny that was just literally floating i mean i would go to work and i would answer my emails and i would do the adult things i needed to do but other than that the rest of my life was ordered in divine timing Mm-hmm. which also meant that there were a lot of people in my life <laughs> that would say, Hey, we should get together. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, if our divine comes like, let's just get together, which means we're not trying to schedule through text message or any sort of calendaring. Like if we run into each other, that's the sort of our divine time to be together. And like, there just was so much of that energy, which is really beautiful when it works But then my therapist reminded me that you can't simply operate. It's like too much heaven (laughs) when you're operating in that space. Um, Like it's too much heaven in that, like everything is ethereal. Mm -hmm. Like nothing can materialize if you're constantly operating in divine timing. Like there has to be a bridge towards some sort of manifestation, some anchoring to be able to make things work. Right.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So when I think of the animus of time, I want to, I want to experience time in, in that sort of divine feather in the wind. I'm, I'm like now on a tree leaf. I've like now floated onto a p- patch of moss. I'm like floating onto the sidewalk now and now I've ended up in a child's pocket. Like that is that is how I want to experience time. Very mm-hmm. much like the wind, really. Um, but I would say that even though that is like aspirational, it isn't maybe super realistic to experience time in that way, because of the sort of, you know, the, the consensus reality that we've agreed to in terms of our understanding of what time means. Yeah. Um, and when I am left I think without some sort of structural experience of time, those sorts of insecurities around the elusiveness of time can turn into real, I like, think, egoic demons. Yeah. Um, which is why I think, you know, Carlos Re- Carlos Rovelli's book, The Order of Time, has been such a therapeutic read for me because in his book... Time is not linear; it doesn't point in one direction. There is no one agreement or conception of time. Time moves faster at higher elevations than they, than it does at sea level. So, like, there's literally multiple. And I, you know, and I love your example of Venusian time, Mercurial time, Jupiterian time. Like, what are all these different times? And can we? I think be in such alignment with life itself, where we can actually figure out what time that we want to be aligned with mm. would be a really beautiful, like that to me is a much greater sort of like divine experience of time. Yeah. Um, and it also reminds me of, so I talked about the practice um, in transformative action cohort through East Bay Meditation Center. And I had, our first gathering a couple last, last month on a Sunday. And one thing that our teacher said that was actually really, and this is also about the quality of time. Like just, I mean, basically living is essentially your relationship with your quality of time. Let's just Mm -hmm. define it as that, right? Yeah. Time can be defined as our relationship towards the quality of our experience of time or at least that's how I'm defining it. That is not Carlos Revelli's definition. I'm just defining it as that. Um, and she was talking about how mindfulness, the definition in, in the English language around mindfulness has really lost its meaning. Hmm. Um, so it comes from the Pali word sati. And in the American English conception, westernized conception of mindfulness, there's this, Experience of like, okay, I I'm having this thought, I'm aware of this thought. I am aware of the sensation in my body. I'm aware that I am moving through this through space and that my feet are touching the ground. But she was saying that actually the Pali word sati is actually the pre-cognitive and pre-verbal experiences of knowing. So it's actually before you come into actual awareness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's when you're in like perfect alignment with reality where it doesn't, where you're not locking it in any sort of conceptual framework. It's pre-verbal pre-cog, precognition, And I think when I think, when I think about the sort of animus of time, it's that space, it's that space that is occupied before, before we've even conceptualized it as such before we've even been able to name the quality of that time that we're experiencing. And I've been real, I've been really, I've been trying to meditate on that. Like, what does that mean? And the closest thing that I can really think of is those experiences. When you just look into the sunset, like you can't define a sunset. <sighs> you can say it's beautiful. Certainly yeah. mm-hmm. you can say it makes you feel at peace, but you literally cannot you cannot define the sort of phenomena of a sunset. Um, And you can't define the phenomena. I don't know if you've ever seen the eclipse, but the eclipses were over um, the Pacific Northwest a few years ago.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it was, I'd never seen a full total eclipse. And I just remember being, and I read actually a short story on the way, of course, because I'm heady. So on the way, to the total eclipse. I was reading the short story and even that experience. And I almost didn't want to read it cuz I didn't want the experience to be taken or I didn't want the experience to be colored by this author's perception of it. But what was so incredible about witnessing this total eclipse was that even her, even reading her story, could not define the experience that I had of the of the sort of awe that I felt mm. of watching the sun completely darken and blacked out, and there is nothing to to talk about the experience. Like you could have a ninety eight point nine percent total eclipse, but it is nothing like a total one hundred percent
3: eclipse. Yeah,
1: and that that for that to me is. I mean, and that was just like, in terms of time, like time felt like it just stopped for that moment. And for some reason, I felt like I was transported back to Egypt too. It was like a very strange experience. We were in a Mm. field. um, We were in this field, I think on somebody's private property, but then a bunch of other people were also on this private property because the (laughs) lines were so long, but we just pulled off on this random field and there were bunnies. There were like random bunnies. Anyways, it just, it was so incredible. And, and that experience to me was absolutely pre-cognitive, pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. And that sort of sense of awe when you don't have, it hasn't entered the mind yet. It hasn't entered the mind. The sensation is like a full body knowing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I would like time to feel like that all the time.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I feel like as you were describing that very surreal experience, that very surreal scenery, what that brought to me was how few of those experiences we have nowadays because of A, I think the way that we have as a society decided to construct time, right? Mm -hmm. There was something in Rovelli's book that really struck me around how time was not actually uniform in mm-hmm. in europe mm-hmm. right before yeah. the invention of the trains mm-hmm. and then the trains have to arrive on time right mm-hmm. Quote, air quotes on time and then they they kind of had to create that as a convention right mm-hmm. so in a sense our idea of time is closer to perhaps language you know e- mm-hmm. even language in a sense that both uh, language needs to be defined and language is made by people who speak them Mm -hmm. and at the same time also how language can be destroyed and you can totally use the same word to describe totally different things based Mm -hmm. on the context right you can introduce like a virus is introduced to a computer system you can introduce a new meaning you know, mm-hmm. or a new word, and then it totally changes the conversation. So in that sense, I think what we're really getting at here is the idea that time as this really strict order, right, mm-hmm. as the strict, perhaps, um, lieutenant that directs our lives is an invention.
2: Yeah,
0: 100%. And that we are a participant, right? It's mm-hmm. more accurate to the nature of time, as we understand mm-hmm. it today, that we insert ourselves into the discussion, into the meaning making
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. and into
1: the relationship making
0: exactly yeah
1: I th- I think I mean, Carlo Ravelli talks about our inability to actually understand time as it really as it really is, because of our inability to see the details, of mm-hmm. our inability to understand the details, because we have already conceptualized it as such as this static, sort of like, or maybe not static, but like this forward moving thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: that never changes and 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 moves and kind of like ticks along without any sort of relationship to anything else, and that it doesn't relate to anything else, um, which. Which is just you know, which it it it's bonkers because I think our actual lived experience of time is that it's always in relationship with something else. Yeah. Um. You know, depending on which masses or which material things are interacting with each other, drastically changes the quality of our experience of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I think about when you're hanging out with someone who is not as interesting. <laughs> How that time can just stretch on forever, right? And there's this sort of constriction of feeling of just wanting to get away versus somebody that the energies are aligned and everything just feels like the molecules are bouncing everywhere and thoughts are just um, forming at rapid speed and like time just goes so quickly. Yeah, and I think about just like that simple experience of time, like we, we know, I mean, our, our inherent, I think beings have such wisdom in them, but because in Western culture, right? Like talking about how do we decolonize the sort of Western concepts of everything, um, it's so rigid and we've taken, you know, and I, and I also know that I'm, I'm vulnerable to this, in in holding rational thought up on a pedestal mm-hmm. but like our own actual animal bodies know this reality of time and of course it took me to need to read a you know a, a physicist's book to be like oh okay duh <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you for validating my experience <laughs>
2: Totally. Thank
1: you science for validating my experience and like needing that too. And I'm not, um, and I'm just saying that as, as, as a way to laugh at myself, Mm -hmm. Um, but what could it really look like if we were to trust our animal, our animal knowing in our bodies more in our experiences Um, and to also just trust that, so here's a, here's a direct example and experience. I moved from Portland, Oregon to Denver, Colorado recently, and I grew up in Oregon. I was, for this past eight years in Portland, Oregon, had cultivated a really deep and wide community and also had done like a lot of good community work and loved that place very much because of the community. And moving is always a really stressful, pretty jam packed, um, experience. I was also wrapping up a seven year job mm-hmm. and my whole, ins- my whole experience exiting Portland was so beautiful. Like it was so expansive and I got to see and, and, and engage with the people in the way that I wanted to engage with There were just so many moments when I didn't even have to look at my, I didn't even have to look at the time, like everything just kind of flowed into one after the other. And it would wrap up not, you know, like one, one moment with a friend would wrap up and it would give me exactly the amount of time that I would need to, to get to like my next friend. Mm. And it just was such a generous and spacious experience during a very emotionally fraught time of saying goodbye. Yeah. That was a really incredible. Like, I was, I felt very much in alignment. Moving to Denver, though, I was like completely dislocated, even though I was like completely, I was ready for, you know, being unscheduled. I, you know, like missed two appointments because I was just like, oh, I'm just going to float. And then also, I was like, you know, crap i totally forgot that i was supposed to be on this grant panel
2: mm-hmm.
1: that i had agreed to be on <laughs> you know i missed um, like a, an appointment with my financial advisor like all this stuff that i was supposed to do as an adult i just completely like it just I, I like had no concept of time i like knew that days were passing but then i would like also do my ego like needed things to to be comfortable with so i was like running a lot of errands Mm -hmm. And it just was like this really strange, I felt so discombobulated, but there was no actual, I guess, like scheduled reason for me to feel that way because I was wholly unscheduled for the most part, but my body was going through something that I wasn't actually recognizing or giving it credence or space to actually process through. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with a friend who reflected back to me, That it's only been four weeks. You've literally left a home that you've known for so long. You left Mm. a whole entire community. You just got married. And like learning how to be in a marriage is also a lot. Mm -hmm. You're doing like, just slow down. And it was such a, it was such a, I was so unaware that I wasn't slowing down. Mm -hmm. But it was like again, like if I were if we're talking about time, my quality of experience of time in Portland versus my quality of experience with a place like Denver, which is a place I don't know. Um those quality of experiences were so different. Yeah. And literally what split them apart was a 19-hour drive. You know, if we were to talk about time in like these sorts of blocks, but that's not actually really how time is experienced. Mm-hmm. But when you think about that, it's like I lit the portal. If we were to time that portal, that portal was only 19 hours. And it like thrusted me into a completely different, different ex- existence.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and so part of reading Ravelli's book that really helped to ground me was recognizing that, oh my gosh, it's not linear, it isn't progressive. Mm -hmm. It isn't that because you had an incredibly beautiful time saying goodbye to Portland, that that somehow was going to transfer or that that you're going to continually progress in this way. Mm -hmm. Right. That Mm -hmm. um, that the sort of like even the concept of progression is problematic when it's tied to time because it. I mean, it's just the capitalistic model. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just the ways in which we're colonized. It's the ways in which we're we've been patterned to believe that that's what progress is supposed to feel like or be mm. like or look like. yeah um, and I think so much of this is based in our our concept and experience of time um, and how we how we conceptualize what time you know supposedly i'm supposed to be a certain way at 37 compared to when i was 24 Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which is complete bullshit Yeah. yeah you know um or these ridiculous age markers of you know oh quarter life okay now i'm 30 okay now i'm 40 i'm supposed to you know I'm supposed to be a certain way and you know, I talk about this, not because I've figured anything out, but I talk about it because I'm also so vulnerable to all of these, all of these like really oppressive concepts of how we're supposed to live and be. And I think time is like a an ordering in and in a, in a framework in which that is structured around. Mm-hmm. I think about it as like the skeletal structure, right? In which the way that capitalism hangs its Immensive, ugly skin on. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of that painting. Is that by Dali? Where Mm. time was kind of melting on, Uh it was hanging on the tree and it was kind of melting. Yeah. Wow. Some of what you were saying led me to this idea that we have put or maybe not even idea, but really kind of a phenomenon, right? That we've mm-hmm. put a lot of attention towards studying or applying time as a quantitative measure. Mm-hmm. But we haven't always put in the time and the effort to study time as a qualitative
3: mm-hmm. thing
0: or through a qualitative l- lens. And so I'm curious to hear if, um, how do you think you are astrological study has changed Mm. your relationship with time especially because astrology so much of astrology is studying the quality of time right Right. and like i've been thinking a lot about how astrology is like time fuckery you know because if you are standing in the present moment and you're looking at the current transit and then you're comparing the current transit with your birth chart Right, which happened, I don't know, however long ago when you were born, then you believe that the quality of time at that moment of your birth has bearing on your current, what's going on currently, right? Yeah. So without that very basic assumption, the whole astrology falls, falls through, right? Like you, yeah. you literally cannot proceed reading a birth chart if you don't believe that the past has a hold over the present you know, right. or that the past is somehow still alive in the present. So I'm curious to hear like how this exploration has been for you. And also, yeah, maybe if you want to share a little bit about how you come into astrology, um, what's your relationship with astrology?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think astrology, I heard, uh, an astrologer, I think Renee Sills. she's an embodied astrologer. I'm going to plug her because she's amazing. She's great. Yeah, yeah. She's so great. Um, she talked, she talks about how astrology is understanding oneself as I think this is her. She talks about understanding oneself in epic time mm. and understanding one's story epically, right? Yeah. There is a particular level of threshold. I'm really drawn to things that are, it doesn't stop me from wanting to figure it out. <laughs> um and I access third house ninth house it doesn't stop me from wanting to figure it out but I'm really drawn to things that are in some ways trying to explain the inexplicable Mm
2: -hmm.
1: like to a certain level for example like there's this debate right there it's like are we are we in a like is it the Aquarius like era right oh my god there's like so (laughs) much debate and I haven't even gotten into it so I can't really talk about it in any sort of um any in any intellectual or any grounded way but there's an inability to agree on whether or not we're even in the time of aquarius because Mm -hmm. we can't conceptualize that much information yeah and you know we haven't i mean as far as when recorded history like recorded written history like we don't even have the data So there's something like really incredible about astrology. And this is really what drew me to astrology is trying to explain in a way with like mythological language and sort of archetypes that are fluid, right? Like we all have a, a certain understanding of these archetypes. We know them. I think we know them in our bodies. We've lived them enough, I think, we've evolved with them enough that they have been integrated i think into our physiology. Yeah. And and there's a there's a fluidity of like being able to use that in a way to tell a sort of epic story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That gives a sort like that that pulls the framework i think off the earth. And i do this a lot when i'm feeling really bogged down. By what I call the human drama. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And because we're in class together, you know that I care very much about racial justice. I care a lot about social issues. I care about the environment. I care a lot about a lot of those things. Mm. And one thing that I'm always reminded about when I go back into nature or when I read physics books or when I study astrology or there's also this incredible Netflix documentary called the great unknown, I think, or the unknown, which has like a bunch of different scientific experts, like a microbiologist, an astronomer, uh, you know, a a psychologist, a neurobiologist, all of these different. And they like go through this journey of explaining the things that they don't know. Mm hmm. And about how, like, there's something like 1.7 trillion, um, like, uh, anyways, there's just like, so like, you know, like neurons, um, the astronomy, like the universe, uh, the ocean, um, microbiology, like all of these, like, we haven't even gotten to the frontier of a lot of this stuff. Mm Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds me, I'm like, we spend so much of our time worrying and we keep mucking up the stuff that we already know, you know, it's like, it's (sighs) like, it just, it's like, okay, like science is not going to save the environment. Okay. Like actually this podcast is about future languages. And I was actually thinking about this, about how maybe the future languages is actually a returning back to, it's like returning back to indigenous Land practices,
2: yes. returning
1: back to our deeper knowing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like returning back to, you know, it's like right now, um, indigenous folks are burning, you know, the Pacific Northwest to save it from forest fires because indigenous land practices, they knew that fire as medicine could burn away the bush yeah. that would create uncontrollable fires. hmm. So I'm just like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I get so frustrated sometimes when I get like really mired into the like human drama of what we know. And when I'm just like, okay, but there's so much we don't know.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's like really what drew me to astrology is that there is this, there is always room for the unknown or there's always room. And even though astrology is an incredibly intellectual practice, there is something specifically about the occult and studying these patterns that isn't grounded in what feels like the way in which we gene slice things um,
0: i
2: agree
1: <laughs> um it 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 feels much more integrated you know like to be in relationship with the planets with something that you can't see mm-hmm. is inherently itself a radical it's a radical way of looking at the world, yeah. To be able to, 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 to look to the to look to the sky to the planets that you don't even see with your own eyes, to garner some sort of deeper narrative about your own human experience on Earth is if you can respect that, then you can respect the relationships of of other things that you don't know or can't see, right?
3: Absolutely. Um
1: and so I, you know, and Again, it doesn't make me, uh, you know. I still want to know everything.
0: <laughs> me too. I hear um, you. Yeah.
1: yeah, we talked about we've talked about this a lot. Um, but I also, I also hold a lot of space and acknowledgement that there will always be the unknowable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think that's what I also love about quantum physics because they cannot explain why a photon, why you can't. Determine where a photon is going to go because there is that God principle, right? Like there's, there's that unknowable divine at work that we can't possibly know everything. And then that's also part of, that's part of the beauty and part of the mystery. And I wish, I mean, I hope, right. If, if we could lean into that more, that we could just accept, (laughs) we could just accept, we could just be. Um And, you know, and I also think that Buddhism and evolutionary astrology also has very similar tenets.
0: Yeah, that's something that I've kind of sensed into as well. I, I do want to just point out, you know, what I think is interesting that you brought up uh, quantum physics and astrology, and I feel like in their own ways, these are two different disciplines one Mm -hmm. coming maybe more from the present slash future and the other one really coming from ancient times that are breaking down this newtonian Mm
3: -hmm.
0: way of looking at the world you know Mm -hmm. the mechanistic Mm -hmm. worldview is kind of um dissolved as we introduce these other principles but yeah what what you had pointed out about buddhism and mm, i don't know that much about Buddhism I've read a couple texts from um, Buddhist teachers but that doesn't mm-hmm. make me any sort of expert in Buddhism
1: good me too I'm not an expert either
0: <laughs> but you've walked the path you've walked the path um, and I
1: don't know if I've walked the path I, I joined studied sangha the
0: teaching. okay
1: <laughs> yeah I read okay. the Dhammapada pretty regularly but yeah I don't I wouldn't say that I'm yeah yeah
0: yeah I'm, okay I'm aligned so, with it you're aligned with it. Okay. So I'm curious to hear then, like how you, yeah. Where do you think the overlap is
1: there? Yeah. I mean, I, well, first of all, in Buddhism, there's a belief in reincarnation Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So in evolutionary astrology, right? We, it's all about how the soul has reincarnated into this life cycle and what it's meant to do here. Yeah. And Buddhism isn't so much about that. Another thing that I love about Buddhism too is that so many of the precepts are open. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're not, I think that some translations of some Buddhist texts are a lot more didactic than some other ones, but also the fact that it was never meant to be a religion to begin with also speaks to me. I'm just like, this was never meant to be codified and any sort of dictatorial Cosmology, but because humans are the way that we are, we made it into a religion. Mm-hmm. So I don't study it as such. And you know, I'm also reminded by um that there are a lot of different Buddhists, right? There are people who are Jewish and Buddhist, there are people mm-hmm. who are Christian and Buddhist, there are people who are secular and Buddhist. Um so it really is, I think, a path. Um some things that remind me. I think a lot, I mean, especially in our class, we talk about, Sabrina talks a lot about thought forms, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, a lot about the ways in which we can change our thought forms. And, you know, there's definitely, I think, the spiritual community, there's a lot of, oh, you know, whatever. I think the the largest well known one is the secret, right? Um, Think about what you want and you'll attract it to you. And in Buddhism, like so much about so much of the practices around we we are we are conditioned to be a certain way. Basically, like the easier path is to be a worse human <laughs> in many ways.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like to, to be reactive, to get hooked onto things, to spiral because you have um, a feeling about something. And so much of the the practice is about recognizing that those thought forms are of the mind and that Mm -hmm. they are illusory and that this world is not real because it's all perception. And so much of the practice is about honing your will right, towards greater compassion, towards equanimity, towards being able to access this sort of more subtle experience or this more subtle truth, which is like, capital teacher. And I I see a lot of similarities in our class around, I think using astrology in tandem with this practice of being able to have the information and then being able to have the free will to make decisions,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right. To be able to change our thought forms so that we're more spacious or more generous or, so I see a lot of like kind of like overlapping and especially around like the discussion around consciousness. I mean, Buddhism is the study of the mind. It's essentially you are becoming aware of like your mind's patterns. Um, And I think about so much around, you know, I mean, everything that we do is, is, is a, is a, is a concept of the mind. Yeah. And, even astrology has been conceptualized by humans or maybe not actually maybe aliens i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um but it is a but it is a human tool yeah you know it is a Mm -hmm. human tool that we use similarly the way that the scientific method is a human tool the way that i mean another thing that i really love about our class in evolutionary astrology is the interwovenness of depth psychology and astrology. Um, Growing up, I've always been really suspicious of psychologists for the longest time. And I would say that I'm still, they're not super helpful. I would say that the esoteric and the occult and folks who are mystics and life path coaches oftentimes work better for me. Hmm. because I think with psychology, right? Like there's this perception that it's grounded in reality and that it is truth, like capital T science truth.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: When really it's exactly the same. It's, it's just a different framework to understand the self. Yeah. Which astrology is exactly that. It's just more mythic and a lot more fun. And it's way more interesting. <laughs> um, but when we merge, when we're able to merge, I think the sort of phenomena of the mind or the study of the mind psychology with astrology, which is like the study of the planetary bodies and like time and change, there's like this really, and then of course like Buddhism is also the study of the mind and like being quiet and being able to sit and understand um, so that you can come into right relationship in
3: Absolutely. your life. Yeah.
1: Um, I think that they there, there they they're all talking to each other
3: hmm.
1: um, the way that my friend and I talk about it is like so many of these esoteric studies and i would put quantum physics in this category as well is that it, they all feel like they have different we all have like the we all have our hands on the elephant and we're all blindfolded we all have hands on on the elephant which is like the tr- like capital t truth and, you know, Buddhism has, like, its hand on the trunk. Astrology might have its hand on its rump or something. Yeah. Quantum physics might have its hand on its foot or something. But, like, we all have a hand on a part of it. We don't have the full picture. Mm-hmm. But they all seem to be talking towards the same sort of phenomenon of, like, this this experience of this of this undefin- like undefinable experience of being alive. Yeah. Um, of this phenomenon of consciousness, like consciousness is you consciousness is the same as our unknowability of the universe. It's Mm -hmm. the same as like our inability to understand the depth of the ocean. It's just, you know, there's no way that we can, I mean, after studying the brain for so long, like neuroscience, I mean, we've barely, we don't understand where dreams come from. Like, Mm you know, we don't understand, um, but so much of these, I think, old teachers, like I just learned about, uh, I just learned about dream yoga. Do you know about dream yoga? I don't. Okay. I didn't either, but it's so cool. Now I'm like, where can I find a dream yoga practitioner? (laughs) Um, I just uh, learned about dream yoga in this, and you know, it's, it's about accessing the subconscious um you know and it, there's so much wisdom so like is the future just a returning back to right like is it mm-hmm. is it actually just a returning back to um and in the I ching in particular and i'm not an I ching anything i just came upon it because literally the universe like dropped it <laughs> into my mm-hmm. lap um but my i feel my like that's an interesting story there There is an interesting story there. Yeah.
0: You want to tell Um, it or not? Oh,
1: sure. Oh, I can. Yeah, sure. Um, So how I came across the I Ching. So my ethnicity is Chinese, born in in the U.S. So I'm Chinese American. Um, Never had any sort of concept about the I Ching. And a few years ago, a couple years ago, I started doing this book called The Gene Code. Which I've is written by, book. yeah, it's written by a white guy. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was very helpful, but it but the whole entire book is structured around the natal chart and also based around the framework of the I Ching. Mm. So I think that this guy channeled it. I did it. It was like helpful for me at the time. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, oh, the I Ching, I'm like, oh, I should read because it's a book, right? So I was like, oh, I should read it. I remember talking to my roommate in the kitchen and he said, well, the each thing isn't really a book that you read. And I didn't really understand what he meant by that, but then I was like, okay, go on. Life goes on. Um, and this was during a period of time when I was like really deeply steeped in my own shadow practice. So Mm -hmm. I started meditating. I was doing the gene, the gene. Oh, it's called the gene keys. That's what it's called. I was doing the gene keys. I was also part of this, um, experimental creative writing workshop around trauma and the voice. And then I was also simultaneously taking this workshop called healing from the trauma of racism for people of color. Mm. So all of that amalgamate it was just like so much deep diving work into trauma and just, it was, it was a very powerful year. Fast forward to the beginning of the following year, which is actually 2020 or no, Yes, 2020, and we all know what happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at the end of February of 2020, I went on a 10-day silent meditation vipassana retreat, and came back, and was I was like so clear. I had never been so clear in my life. I was also extremely sensitive, like to external environments. And I felt like I had, I was so centered for a couple of days. And then of course, like after reentering the city, like that really only lasted about two days, but my first full day back to work, I had, um, a creative writing workshop that I was sitting in and for that creative writing workshop, it was at a low income housing, um, in the community room. And at the halfway mark at the break, there was a little free library in the community room. And before the Vipassana retreat and like after doing the gene keys, like I had the sort of like loose intention that I was going to find the I Ching somewhere. I come out of the 10 day silent meditation retreat. I go to work the next day. I sit in this creative writing workshop. We take a break. I go to this free library and right there was a copy of the, of the translated copy of the I Ching. And I looked up at the sky and I said, I think this is for me. Thank you. And it was the John Legg translation, which is anyways, FYI, it's so bad, but (laughs) I, I had it with me because I was like, oh my gosh. And I felt so, I felt so seen by the universe at that moment. Mm. I was so at peace and I took it and I was reading it. And then a couple of days later, I was in my therapist's office and I we were doing the therapy thing. I had my backpack. I was digging stuff out of my backpack because I was looking for chapstick, and I pulled the I Ching out of my bag. And this is when my therapist said, "Hey, I I also use the I Ching." And then he started telling me about Alfred Huang, about this master Alfred Huang, who he had um, he had heard about, who had studied the I Ching um during the cultural revolution in china with these three elders and ended up getting thrown into a work camp because they found out that they were studying the Ching. because of course Mm. every sort of cultural text at that time was like banned yeah so he got thrown into a work camp his his teachers and his friends ended up dying at the work camp because he was younger he ended up surviving and the Chinese government at the time decided not to kill him because they didn't want him to become a martyr. So then they released him like years later. And in the 1980s, he came to the U S and he was like 80 pounds, but he basically nursed himself. He's also like a Qigong master and he like nursed himself back to health. And he had, um, and he basically had, he had the inspiration to, cause he realized that there were like no English translated E Chings, that weren't written by English speaking white people. So he was like, I want to, I want to do this. Right. So my therapist is telling me that there's this copy written by a Chinese, um, a Chinese man who has studied the I Ching. There is a translated copy of this I Ching. Okay. And I was like, all right, I'm going to find it. There was a bookstore directly across from his office. And this is what, so this is this is another one of those like sort of synchronistic moments is that his therapy office was actually on the opposite side of town where I usually go, but for whatever reason, today he was in Northwest Portland. Mm. There was a bookstore directly across from his office that I went to and I went to the front desk and I said, yeah, do you all have a copy of the I Ching? And they said, oh yeah, there's, a, there's an I Ching section. I went over to the I Ching section. There was no Alfred Huang translation. And so I asked the guy, I was like, well, do you have the Alfred Huang translation? And he said, oh, yeah, I can see the cover right now. I think we have one copy in the back. He brought it out to me and I went up to the front and I said, I knew that this was going to be here for me. And I took it home <laughs> Wow! and I mean, and I have no idea, you know, how to commune with the I Ching. So I learned from my therapist because he practices through the I Ching and some really like incredible, I mean, it is, it is older than the Bible. It is at least I think my facts are right. Um, but it's, it's a divination text. That is one very esoteric. The translations are like, I mean, at least a lot of the astrology books that we read are written by English language speakers. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like so much, so I don't commune with the I Ching a lot, but there is like this like distortion of, it's not even a distortion of time. It's actually the I Ching works in the time in time, the way that Carlo Rovelli explains time in quantum physics. Mm -hmm. And so In the I Ching, there is such a thing. So I communed with it recently and my therapist like helped me to discern like what the meaning was. And he said that he's like, okay, he's like, he's like, okay, this, what came up was that it's too far in the future that it's too soon to tell.
2: Mm.
1: He's like, does that make sense? He's like, it's too far in the future that it's too soon to tell. And when I think about that, he's like, does that make sense? And I was like, okay, I can't actually tell you in any sort of linear, logical, cogent paragraph that I understand what that means, but my body knows what that means.
2: Mm -hmm. And the
1: I Ching is like incredibly powerful because he was saying that you have to get clear with your question that you're answering because you're essentially setting the GPS in the quantum field. So if you're not clear, if your question isn't clear or if your intentions aren't clear, it'll set the I Ching will guide you to a point in the quantum field. It'll lead you somewhere, but it just might not be, you know? And so, um, so when I think about even like these, like, you know, these esoteric texts, these like sorts of divination tools, I mean, the tarot, like astrology, the Oracle cards, like they are sourcing from something that is beyond that is in that is like in we're in the field Mm -hmm. but that we cannot immediately sense because our patterning of our minds and the, the the concepts of our minds the colonization of our minds has has disengaged or disallowed us from being able to be plugged into that realm all the time
0: absolutely
1: um so yeah, that's, that's my I Ching story.
0: <laughs> wow, I, I love that. And I it reminds me of the beginning of Cosmos and Psyche um, mm. by Rick Tarnas, mm-hmm. because in that book, Richard Tarnas was talking about how at least one of the conception that he came up with, you know, in terms of how astrology works, right? I mean, he obviously put it so much more eloquently than this, but the tenet of his argument was that, you know, imagine a universe where everything is connected
3: mm-hmm. and
0: that the planets were simply, mm, it's not really a manifestation, but it's like it points to the fact that it's connected. Like it reminds you that it's connected, right? So oh. when when something is aligned astrologically, it's not that the planet caused it, but it's mm-hmm. the planet is working in concert mm-hmm. with the whole of the interconnected reality. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think that we have so many examples of this, right? I mean, 2020, unnamed, right? What what was it? Saturn and Pluto mm-hmm. conjunct. And mm-hmm. then COVID-19 happened. Yeah. Right. And then what ended up with COVID-19 was that it spread across the whole entire world. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like no one was immune from that. Yeah. I mean, people, some people thought that they were, but it's just like, I mean, and then, and if you think about it, right. If we think about the way that we think about like our, our, like our, our supply chains, like that is still a thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like how, We're, you know, we have like bubble tea shortages because somewhere all the way across the world that is producing, you know, boba is just like, I mean, there's so many supply chain issues. If that doesn't tell us that we're all connected, Mm. I don't know what does. And I think that that's something also about Buddhism that reminds me because in America, we're so individuated, right? Like American individualism is... I mean, is, is like such a deeply ingrained concept and something that I am also deeply vulnerable to all the time, especially when I get into arguments with my partner. <laughs> I'm like, you're you, I'm me. <laughs> <We're> like... <Yeah. laughs> um, but I remember, um, I forgot, uh, I forgot his name. But anyways, he is a, uh, he's a Kingian nonviolence practitioner. Mm -hmm. And he was doing a Dharma talk through the East Bay Meditation Center and he was talking about, and we were doing this meditation and also he had this, um, he was talking about when you wake up, can you, can you like, who, who, like, how is this coffee possible? Mm -hmm. This coffee is possible because somebody in a different country cultivated it for you and shipped it to you. Like, what about the floor that you're standing on or the house that you're living in or the cup, the mug that you're drinking out of? Like, we are we are inherently connected all the time and we don't think about that. Yeah. Like, that's not part of our our immediate consciousness of awareness. And that's one thing that I really love about Buddhism is because it also reminds me of that when I'm in my higher self, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it also recognizes too, that it's like, you know, there is also this, I mean, I think, you know, what you said about Rick Tarnas, like we, we are all interrelated, but because we're so individuated and I get it too, because I mean, how could you possibly survive, um, without an ego, an ego that is so porous, like if we mm-hmm. were to exist in that reality all the time, like we would not survive this world, right? Like it would be impossible to live. Um, so I, I'm like trying to find that sort of, I guess, like that middle path of recognizing that we're all connected, but then how also can, you know, while also being individuated, but not, I don't have an answer. Yeah. Um, and I, think- I don't,
0: I don't know if like really an answer is what we are inching towards either, yeah. you know, it's mm-hmm. really kind of, I think this, you know, and we're recording this during Libra season, like it is perhaps the constant push and pull between the two, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm, it, there's mm-hmm. no, it's, it's not something to be solved.
3: Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And oftentimes I think the questions can get us closer to whatever it is Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we're trying to get closer to.
3: Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah.
0: All right, Jenny. So as we're drawing to a close, I'm curious to hear, you know, usually I offer up that phrase, future language, for folks to kind of, you know, share some thoughts around that, but I feel Mm -hmm. like we already did that. So I'm really curious just to hear, you know, where folks can find your work or maybe connect with you, or maybe you don't want people to connect with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where are you at in that journey and kind of maybe like where we can find you if you want to be found?
1: Oh my gosh. That's also a big question. Um, I mean, I do have an Instagram. I'm not super active on it. Um, It's Asian underscore auntie. A-Z-N underscore A-U-N-T-I-E. Um, I do check my direct messages, though, so if you okay. want to get a hold of me there. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I'll there, put a
0: link.
1: Yeah, there is... Um, I feel like I'm, I've am i been kind of under the surface for a while, um, and I've been doing a lot of internal work, and I don't know when my sort of extroversion self is coming back out, but... Yeah. There might be a blog. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, right now I'm just like, I'm very down for like one-on-one, very meaningful, genuine, authentic engagement and less about this, like casting a huge social media net of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me there. Um, and yeah, I'm doing astrology readings as a student astrologer for the time being. So if people Yay. are interested... people You're people a great
0: astrologer. I've had a um, reading with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, always down to kick around ideas. Um, so
3: Yeah. Well,
0: thank you, Jenny. This has yeah. been such a nourishing conversation for me. And I feel like I'm just always amazed by the way you think and the way you carry yourself and just, you know, the grace that you, I mean, obviously Libra rising, you know, you know how to carry yourself and you just have such a beautiful combination of compassion and also um, groundedness, which is mm. just so beautiful. I can really see that, you know, Libra and Capricorn in you. so thank you for being in my world and thank you for this conversation
1: oh my gosh jonathan it's all mutual i think you have an incredible mind and yeah i feel so blessed to be able to have this conversation with you
0: yay thank you jenny
1: yeah thank
3: you Well, that's
0: it for my conversation with Jenny Chu. I hope that you found some inspiration and maybe you feel a little bit energized after our conversation. I certainly felt that. Um, as always, you can find all the ways to connect with Jenny on social media um, and I will link all of her links in the show notes below. Um, her Instagram handle is Astro, which I just find absolutely incredible and she's currently offering a one-hour natal chart reading which you can schedule directly on her calendly link or you can also reach out to her directly via instagram if you have any questions about that session i highly highly encourage you to book a session with jenny if you feel called My session with Jenny was um, incredible. I found that she was really easy to talk to and we got into pretty deep stuff without it really ever feeling heavy. So yeah, I feel like I really came away with a deeper understanding of myself and some of Jenny's insights on my chart were just brilliant. If you found this podcast or this conversation inspiring, nourishing, or helpful in some ways... I would love, love, love it if you could subscribe, rate, or review this podcast with five stars or whatever is the highest ranking on your podcast app. If you think that someone else will benefit from this episode, please share with them too, whether that's on social media or maybe privately with a friend or a member of your community. All right, until next time, I hope you take good care of yourself and I'm sending you so much love. Thank you for listening.